that story quite well and, and the home group. So thank you. There's some sense of community there, a home group supporting there, other church friends supporting here. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. And we pray that in those situations where we still need you, that, Lord, you will come. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Kathy is going to come and bring our Bible reading, and then Chris will come and speak to us. Good morning. The Bible reading today is from Romans chapter 8. It's on page 1135 in the Bibles and on the screen behind me. Starting at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Oh, good morning. Are we still morning? Yeah, we are. 11 o'clock. I never quite know. We, we have, I'm, 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 my name's Chris. I'm from St. Paul's down the road and I'm the vicar there. And, you know, when we have our 9.15 service or our 11 o'clock service, I lose all track of time, any sense of where I am. So it's really nice to be somewhere else this morning. I love St. Paul's, but it's always great to come back to St. John's. I've been for a little while, but it's great to see so many familiar faces. And, um, feel like I'm with family and friends, which is really lovely. Um, So we're going to look at this wonderful passage. If I'm honest, when Sam told me all that he wanted me to speak on, I was thinking there's about 19 sermons in that passage. Be rest assured, I'm not doing 19 sermons this morning. Um, Your lunch is safe, don't worry. Um, But I think it'd be good for us to pray before we take a bit of a ride through what is probably one of the high moments in the New Testament. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that Kathy read to us. Thank you for the stories of you at work that we've heard. Thank you for the prayers that we've prayed. But, Father, now I ask, would you speak to us? Would you give us ears to hear your voice? But most importantly, hearts that are up for saying yes to the adventure of following Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, um, 21 days till Christmas, folks. 20 shopping days. You might stretch to 21 if the Shell garage is open on Christmas morning. Um, Don't recommend giving loved ones presents from a Shell garage. Uh, I did that once. Didn't go down very well. Um, So... Uh, but do you know, we get to that stage now. I, I, I said, uh, I spoke at St. Paul's a couple of weeks ago and, and said it was 35 days until Christmas. or thir- No, yeah, 35 days when it was seven weeks. And um, I got booed. I was like thinking people are getting genuinely stressed about the arrival of Christmas. Um, and do you know, we do get focused. You know, not only for me, December's always been kind of crazy busy. And not just because I've been in kind of church work for all of my adult life, but actually because my uh, wife's birthday is on the 12th of December, my daughter's birthday is on the 7th of December, my mum's birthday is on the 27th of December, and that's before you get to carol services, decorating the house and everything else. So December does feel pretty overwhelming. December does feel like it's non-stop. There's, you know, there's always more to be done, or there's always things to forget in my case. Does that feel like the same for some of us? Um, and, and I just want to begin this morning by saying this to you. Um, friends, don't lose Advent. Don't lose the season that we're in right now because we're looking to that one that's coming. Don't lose Advent. The more I think about Advent, the more it climbs up my favorite times of the year because of what it means and of what it's about. Um, yes, <laughs> there's so many days till Christmas. Yes, many of us are still... I walked in this morning and just immediately felt anxious that you guys have decorated your church already. We're doing ours tomorrow. Um, and it just, you know, they walk in and go, oh my goodness, their tree's up. 
It's just how anyone else relates to that. You walk into someone else's house or walk past their house and you see the Christmas lights up and you either think in your head, what is the matter with these people? Do they not know that Christmas Eve is when you put Christmas decorations up? Or do you just have that pang of guilt, of anxiety, of how many times you've said no to your children that no, November is not appropriate to put up the Christmas tree? Some of you. But don't lose Advent. Don't lose this season that you're in. Sometimes, sometimes I spend so much of my life living in what's coming that I miss out on where we are now. And as a parent, that's deadly. It's a deadly thing to do, thinking I'll just get through this bit. But actually we miss what's happening right now. And we can miss that in life. We can miss what's happening in front of us. Um, And Advent, I love this about Advent. If, If you ask three different people what Advent is, you'll get three different answers. So I've got three answers here for what Advent is. Advent is, number one, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus in the manger. Number two, we anticipate his coming in glory. And number three, we experience his presence in our hearts. Isn't that great? That's not mine. I found that somewhere else. Um, we, we celebrate his arrival, we anticipate his coming, we experience his presence. Don't lose Advent. Don't lose this season. It's so important. It, it brings such life. And Advent is about holding that tension um, between um, what we talk about as the future hope of the kingdom, that one day that God will make all things new. Heaven will invade earth, earth will be invaded by heaven, that the kingdom of God will have come in its fullness. But actually, it's that not just that one day that'll happen, but we, we hold on to the tension that, do you know what? We pray for it to come right now. When you, we pray the Lord's Prayer, which I guess we pray at many of our services or in many of our things, we pray, God, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that more often than not for the immediate things we, we want. We, we pray for God to heal a body. We pray for God to uh, rescue a mind. We pray for God to provide when we're in need. So we're praying for the now of the kingdom. But actually there's also what we're praying for is what will one day be normal. What will one day be constant to come into the present now. The kingdom of God in the future to be present here with us today. And we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, and we see that, don't we? Jesus came to proclaim good news for the poor. And what happened? The poor received good news. Jesus came to bring recovery of sight for the blind. He healed everybody. Uh, Jesus came to set the captives free, those physically in captivity, those emotionally uh, trapped in captivity. We look at the life of Jesus. He welcomed the outsider. He cared for the poor. He fought for justice. We see the kingdom of God embodied perfectly in the person of Jesus. But we know in our own lives, our bodies don't always get healed. Our hearts don't always seem to get um, mended. Our, our provision doesn't always seem to come in the way we thought. And sometimes you can think, oh my goodness, you know, why? My experience is there's never normally an answer to the question, why? The question is, is that we just keep praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because one day it will. One day it will come in its fullness. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. 
So let's look at this passage. So the letter to the Romans, what an amazing letter it is. Paul's kind of um, opus day is, is kind of his, his life's work, I think. And the context, that letter is written to the church in Rome, funnily enough. Um, and, but it's written to a church that is persecuted and poor. And if I'm honest, that's the context for the whole New Testament. Written to a church that is persecuted and poor. Um, and And... In this passage, in Romans chapter 8, Paul is highlighting that the, Christ, uh, the tension of the Christian life, the now and the future hope of the kingdom of God. And Paul's focusing on, on how do you survive now and hold on to, by holding on to the future hope of the kingdom. Does that make sense? And, you know, Paul describes the current experience of suffering, difficulty, brokenness, so persecution, poverty, marginalization, that the Roman Christians were, fe- were, were experiencing, he, 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 um, he, he talks about that alongside our faith that the kingdom of God is near. Paul describes the kingdom of God being revealed in our suffering as glory revealed in us. Isn't that a wonderful picture? That in the midst of our suffering, the kingdom of God is revealed. And, and we know, don't we, if any of us have been alive for any length of time, that suffering is a reality. We all will or have or are experiencing suffering at different points and in different ways. But that's never the end. That's never the final thing. There's always a but. But in the midst of suffering, Paul points to this incredible and glorious future that awaits us. Let me just read. I'm going to pick some of these verses. Some of them are just beautiful. And maybe for some of us this morning, we just need a reminder of these wonderful promises, these amazing truths that Paul brings in Romans chapter 8. This, this one here, I, I love this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What a promise. Um, thing is, it's hard to hear that when you're in the midst of suffering. When you're sat in the oncology unit having chemotherapy, it's hard to hear those words. When you've suffered a miscarriage, it's hard to hear those words. When you're battling with unemployment, it's hard to hear those words. When you're bereaved, it's hard to hear those words. Because actually, it's not the future in that moment that really appeals. It's like, well, God, where are you in the present? And this is what Paul is saying. Don't, he said, if God is present in the future, he's present in the same way right now. That's the glory of Advent. We remember the Christ child born in a manger. We look forward to his coming in glory, but we experience his presence now. That's good news, friends. I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, Chronicles of Narnia, um, amongst many, many other things. C.S. Lewis describes the Christian future, the hope, Christian hope in this way. He talks about that the school term has finished and the holidays have begun and every day is better than the last. He also talks about living lives in technicolor. That actually we live kind of in you know, kind of sort of a a hazy vision of what beauty and wonder really will be. And one day, we think we see beauty now. We ain't seen nothing yet, to paraphrase Isaiah and Paul. Any suffering in this life pales into comparison. And in the midst of of our suffering, Paul says, don't forget to look to the future. 
So Christian hope, let me tell you what it isn't. Christian hope is not kind of one day we die and we in some way take part in an eternal church service where the singing never stops, where we wear white clothes and I don't know, that's kind of the greeting card, Clinton card image of heaven. The New Testament in no way at any point describes the future hope of Christ, for Christians, the Christian future hope in that way. Our hope is rooted in a person, in the person of Jesus and his life and teaching. Number one, hope right now, the kingdom of God is at hand. A friend of mine spoke last week and she said this at St. Paul's, um, and she said this, that hope is not a verb, it's a noun. It's something we have, not something we do. I found that profoundly helpful. Hope is something we have, and our hope is rooted in Jesus. We have hope in him because of him, because of his death, and most importantly, his resurrection. That death is not the end, that suffering doesn't have the final say on our lives, that even, um, that even the grave doesn't have the final say on our lives. And in Advent, we remember that and hold to that. When we're bereaved, we hold to that for our loved ones. When we're aware of our own mortality, we hold on to that promise that death is not the end. And that not just that death isn't the end, but that God is coming to make all things new in, in his son. He's begun it, he's doing it, and he will complete it because he's faithful. It's good news. It's what hope is. So Paul here is pointing to the moment when Jesus returns, heaven and earth become one. Creation and humanity are liberated and all suffering, sin, pain is ended. Every tear is wiped from our eyes. And from that point on, we can't even imagine the the joy, the love, the beauty that we will experience. And everything will be the way it should be. And all things are made new. My body, your body, this world, our world, relationships, everything. It's impossible, friends, to be so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly use. The more heavenly-minded we are, the more we imagine and remind ourselves of what God is doing and will do in the future, the more we can hold on to hope in the present. And do you know what? That's the challenge, isn't it? It's to hold on. It's to hold on. It's to hold on when we face challenges in family life, when bereavement is a reality, where financial worries and poverty um, are what we wake up at five o'clock. In, why is it always five o'clock in the morning when we wake up? Is anyone else, I, you th- not three or two, but it's five, so irritating. Um, this when we wake up, the disappointment we feel, passed over again for a promotion, unable to get the job we hoped for, our mental health, and, you know, I was chatting to someone even this morning, and this is something my wife Nell suffered with, was that seasonal adjustive disorder that it just, whether it's a kind of, it just is because it's darker, or whether it really does it, we, we lose that sense of life sometimes this time of year. Maybe we're exploited, maybe we are abused, maybe we find ourselves in that thing. How do we hold on? And this is what Paul speaks to, to a church that's persecuted, to a church that's poor. How do we hold on? Let me just send uh, three things just to think through. Number one is we hold on to the promise. The promise this, let me read to you perhaps one of my life verses, Romans 8 verse 28. And we know, when Paul says we know, it's because this is something we've experienced before. And you know, the biggest challenge in the Christian life is not that we need to learn new things. It's that we need to hold on once again to those we've already, things we've already learned. 
we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We hold on to the promise. God takes mess and creates a masterpiece. That's the message of the New Testament. That's the ministry of Jesus. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In other words, God will bring good from this. I don't know how at pretty much any moment, but I hold to that promise. God will bring good. When tragedy strikes, I can pray, God, bring good from this. When we're in the midst of all of it, we can remind ourselves that God doesn't stop working. Jesus said, my father is always at work. What a wonderful promise. But he's bringing about the renewal of all things and suffering and struggle and pain and heartache are no match for the love and power and presence of God. And I just want to say this. I don't believe in any way that God sends suffering to achieve his purposes. I just don't think that's what God is like. That's not his nature. If Jesus has come to destroy the works of the enemy, if Jesus has come to bring life where the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy, it seems as though that's what God does. That God, that suffering is a reality because of our broken world. We live in a world that's random and cruel and unfair. That's true. When your children tell you life isn't fair, you can wholeheartedly agree with them. I mean, you might not want to in that moment as a parent. But we can agree with them wholeheartedly. This world is not fair. It's not right. It's not the way it should be. But God is working in the midst of that to bring things to a place of equality, fairness, goodness. We live in a world that's fallen and broken. We live with the reality of evil and injustice. But I, am, I believe with all of my heart that God is more than able to bring life from death, beauty from ashes, and hope from despair on a daily basis, regularly, all of the time. And I think that's demonstrated by the resurrection of Jesus. No one expected Jesus to rise from the dead. And most days, I don't expect God to bring good from suffering. But he just seems to do it. Sometimes for me, it's I've done a day. That's enough. Sometimes I've walked with a number of folk who battle with addiction. You know, as Liv said earlier, we've got Lauren Windle coming St. Paul's tonight for a new wine celebration for lots of other churches to come and join us. And, and Lauren, Lauren's story is profound and powerful. A wonderful, beautiful young woman who um, has now found freedom from life-controlling kind of habits and patterns. And in the midst of all of that, it's almost impossible to believe that God can bring good from it when you're in the thick of it. But he can, and he does. So number one, we hold on to the promise. Number two, we commit to prayer. Because the Spirit prays with us and for us through groans. Um, I don't like it when my daughter groans. Dad, do I have to go to school? It's like you know the answer is always yes. You know, do I have to do? Yes, you do. The answer is always yes. <laughs> do I have to? Yes. Just don't even finish the sentence. Do I? Yes. Um, groaning does have a place in the spiritual life. 
Groaning has a place. Paul gives some graphic imagery. He's basically talking about childbirth here. He's talking about this idea of the, the, that a woman in labor giving birth to a child is groaning, knowing that in that moment, the pa- I mean, I'm, let me just say uh, before I get shot down, I've never experienced childbirth. I'm not making any comments about the experience of childbirth. I fear as though I'm on sacred ground here. But just to say, this is Paul's description, not mine. Paul is saying that in terms of in that moment of pain and of, and of desperation, I can't imagine. I stub a toe and I think the world has ended. Um, you know, in the midst of that place, of that experience and of that moment, Paul is saying that, the, that all the mother is wanting is for the, this moment to be finished and the baby to come and the baby will come. But what do you do when you're in that moment? And it's Paul saying the Spirit prays with us when we groan like that in life. When life feels so overwhelming, we groan. Paul says that's the Spirit helping you to pray. Do you know when we weep, the Spirit is praying for us and with us. When we we just have no words, the Spirit is praying for us. It's those wonderful groans. The Spirit himself takes our emotions, our the strongest feelings, the deepest cries of lament and frustration, and he turns it into beautiful prayers that God hears, that God answers. We are never on our own when it comes to our prayers. Isn't that good news? So firstly, we hold on to the promise. We commit to prayer. That's praying for ourselves. That's praying in the midst of heartache and brokenness. We pray for our world and our community. The world is longing for liberation. Can we hear the groans of our world? The groans of our natural world with the climate crisis. Um, Those suffering from poverty and oppression are groaning. And do you know, as we pray for it, God will send us to it. We as Christians not only pray with groans, we go to where the groaning is. And if you want, if some of you are saying, I wonder what God might be asking me to do, I would just say, well, where do you hear the groaning? Go to the groaning. Go and serve and love and pray and minister and bless those who are most in need. And that's what we pray for, the future glory of the kingdom of God to break into where the groaning is is loudest, an end to injustice, an end to poverty, an end to oppression. And so when it comes to praying for our world, we join with others. We join with our church family here. We join with the church in Ealing. We join with the global church in crying out to God. Number one, we hold to the promise. Number two, we commit to prayer. And number three, we're filled with the love of Christ. I remember um, a number of years ago, I'd, uh, it was our first holiday with our daughter. She was adopted uh, when we were, she was two and a half, and it had gone amazingly well. This first year had been incredible. But just why I had this real challenge with her on this particular holiday. And, and we were away for 10 days in France, thought this was going to be the most fantastic first proper family holiday we'd had. And it was an absolute nightmare, just from start to finish. And of course, you come back from a holiday, and everyone goes, did you have a great time? And everything in my head was, no, no I didn't. You can fill in the gap with whatever word you would use. Don't judge me. But that's how I felt really strongly. I just hadn't, but I thought, yeah, it was lovely. It was great gritting my teeth. I got back and and there were some things at work that were not going well, that I was struggling. uh, You know, it was just all so much, felt overwhelming. 
And so I used to, I don't do it so much at the minute, but I used to run a lot. And, and I remember going for a run. It was a Sunday night. I was back in work the next day, end of the holiday, and everything just felt awful. I went for a run. I can tell you where I was and what I was doing. And as I'm running, I'm just kind of all of the kind of stress and anxiety and worry about just life was kind of boiling over. And then in one of the most profound moments of ever hearing God speak in my life, I was right by the entrance of Elfham Park, whether it's because that's a holy place or not, I have no idea. But I simply remember this, God saying to me, Chris, you are extraordinarily loved extraordinarily loved. I don't know how to spell extraordinarily. It's not a word I would use. Chris, you know, I love you. It's kind of all right, isn't it? I really love you. Kind of feel like, all right, calm down. Don't get too excited. Chris, you are extraordinarily loved. And it changed everything in a second. And I've never forgotten that moment. And I've never forgotten that word. And you know, some of you will know some of you might not, about my story. So my wife, Nell, last February, died of cancer. Uh, she'd been ill for a number of years, and, um, and uh, it was awful. There's no question about it. It was a really, really, it is, it was, it is, and will continue to be incredibly painful. You know, I can ask the questions about why God didn't heal her. Why are we in this situation? Why on earth would God call me to lead a church in the midst of all of this rubbish? And, and I still don't know the answer to most of those. I just said yes, and it seemed to happen. God bless them. Um, but you know, knowing that word that you are extraordinarily loved has pulled me through. I find it hard to pray. If anyone's been through bereavement, you know your concentration goes. I can't read a book. I used to read a book a week at least. I can't read, I can't focus. Even watching my favorite TV shows, I have, almost have to do something else at the same time. Yesterday, it was sorting out a photo calendar for my daughter's birthday. You know, just, I can't do, it, it's, it messes with your head. It's a really awful, hard, difficult time. And I miss Nell desperately, because she would just know what to do in, the right, in all those right moments. She was my rock, my anchor, my best friend, all of those things. And so how do you get through losing something like that? Well, one, I don't think you get through it. I think you go through it. I think you walk through it, but you're never alone. And so I would say this, um, in all of the midst of this, is one, I know that I'm prayed for. Even someone today, just as I was popping, I was just at the back of the church, said to me, Chris, you know, I'm praying for you. Do you know, I almost cried. I try not to cry when I'm preaching. It doesn't always help. But, you know, I almost cried. Oh, crumbs, I need to finish. Sorry. Sam, I'm really sorry. I just, I got carried away. Anyway, well, let bring this into mind. But, you know, someone said that I, I know that I'm prayed for. I know that I'm prayed for. I know that I'm prayed for. And the second thing is I'm extraordinarily loved. The, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you just think, but you don't know me. No, but you don't know me either. And let me tell you, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that will give you more strength. There is nothing that will carry you through. There is nothing that will heal your broken heart. There is nothing that will give you purpose for life than the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian... I don't blame you sometimes. It's hard work, this life. 
But let me tell you that the love of Christ is real. It's here, right now, present. And that God wants to pour it into our hearts. So if you're here this morning and you are thinking, how do I make sense of the suffering and struggle? Number one, hold on. Hold on to the promises of God. Commit to prayer and be filled with the love of God because nothing can separate you from his love. Let's stand. So here's what we're going to do. Firstly, we're going to pray for Sam's forgiveness that I've spoken for too long. Or he'll get, or he'll get revenge when I invite him to St. Paul's. But I want to pray for us first. So I just want to encourage you to close your eyes for a moment. And just hold out your hands. It's a time of gifts. God wants to give the gift of himself to us. Come Holy Spirit. When we pray, come Holy Spirit, it's not that we get a little bit of it, like we get some of the peace or something, or we get some joy, or we get love. It's that we get the whole lot. Love, peace, joy, power, everything. Maybe it's not the love of God you need today, but something else, but I'm going to pray for it anyway. Spirit of the living God, fall upon your people here at St. John's right now. Fall upon the young people and the children as they finish in their groups. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Increase your presence and power. Increase your presence and power. More of you. More of you. It's always more of God to know, always more of God to receive. You are extraordinarily loved. And I just want to invite anyone here this morning who just wants more of him, more of God, more of his presence, more of his love. I just want you to come to the front now. Just make your way to the front. And there's some of our teenagers and young people, if you're on the weekend away, you remember me doing this as well. They all came forward, bless their hearts. So if you just know, need more of the love of God, you want to be prayed for, just want to stand, it's a step of faith, you know. Um, when um, in Advent, Advent we can talk about the future hope, but it's by faith that we take hold of it. It's by an action. And walking to the front for me is just my action. Now, I appreciate this. For some of us, we actually can't walk all the way to the front. It's just not possible. And that's fine. God will meet us where we are. But if you can, and you think, I just need to know more of his love, more of his power, more of his presence, then I'm just going to say, come. Don't hold back. Don't wait for someone else. That's it. And then the rest of you who are thinking, I should go, then you should come. Come forward. That's it. Maybe you need prayer for healing. Remember, Advent's about the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. That's it. Come. Lovely. Just come. That's it. Lovely. Lovely. So, Spirit of the living God, we pray, fall afresh upon your people. Each one, breathe your breath of life. More of you, increase your presence and power. We bless what you're doing, from the little ones to the older ones. We bless you, more of your love, more of your love. 
more of your love. So if you're on the prayer team, ministry team, these lovely people would love you to pray for them. You don't need to take long praying for them. Just bless what God is already doing. I just said, when it's, when it's me to do this, I never know what to pray. So I just pray, thank you, Lord, for this person. Fill them with your love and your power and your presence. Come. And we do it in the context of worship, I guess. And I'll come back over to Sam. But I'm just going to love to pray for those who come forward as well. But if there are a few other folk who'd be able to come and pray. That would be great. There's lots of people here. Um, but we'll continue to pray now. All right. Thank you, Chris. pray final prayer to finish but do stay and just invite those on the prayer ministry team or any staff members connect group leaders if you're able to come and pray that would be great but lord we thank you so much for your love for us and thank you that you are meeting with us so we ask for your blessing and through this week. So we're going to continue to worship here and feel free to leave when you're ready and there'll be tea and coffee at the back but we're going to continue in worship here and ministry at the front.